our sin has broken our relationship with God. And this is spiritual death. This is uh, what Ephesians in different places talks about when it describes that we are dead in our sins before our relationship with God, before faith in Christ, we're dead. And this has a, a different applications, I think. And the main one, uh, again, as we talked about in the last video, is that um, we are dead spiritually. We're dead in our relationship with God. That relationship has been broken. And so Jesus says things like he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He, Jesus himself is life. And so relationship with Jesus is our spiritual life. It is how we get life. It's through a relationship with the man who himself is eternal life. The problem though, as we, again, as we talked about in the last video is that our sin, our guilt has broken that relationship and severed it. And so uh, since God is perfectly holy and good, he can't join himself in relationship with something that is unholy and not good. So as loving and good and kind as God is, we have to remember too that God is perfectly just. So it would be wrong for God to uh, to overlook sin, to just simply brush it off and say, uh, uh, I'm just going to look past that. Um, there has to be justice. And so a good, a good explanation of this, some people I think have problems with the idea, the concept of the justice of God. And so I get that. Like I, I wrestle with some of that too. Like how can uh, uh, God be just in the ways that, that it describes in the Bible? But here's something that I think is important to think about. If you think about the world around you and you see things like uh, uh, rape, murder, uh, abuse, uh, the, the most evil, wicked things you can think of. You think about things like the Holocaust. Now imagine that all those things take place throughout all of history. All this evil is done. And God just simply says, oh, well, like I'm just going to, since I'm kind and loving, I'm just going to forget about all that. Um, there's a sense in which I think in, inwardly we know that's not right. Like that's not good. There needs to be justice for these things. Like the evil that is happening in the world when you see uh, I, I don't want to be too graphic, but but when you see evils of, of abuse and, and fathers that, that beat their children and their wives and and uh, uh, the worst things that you can think of that just pull up the news and you're going to see things that will grieve you. Um, intuitively, I think we have this sense of, and this desire built into us where we, we know something has to be done about that. There has to be justice. And for God to be perfectly good and just he has to be a God that does not just simply overlook sin. And so God is not a God who simply passes over sin and, for, and, and overlooks it. He's a God who's just and he holds people accountable for the evil that they do. So the worst sin that you can think of that's happened, if a person who's a murderer and a, an abuser or uh, uh, people like, I mean, Hitler, these people will get justice. They have not gotten away with, with it. They haven't just simply gotten off free there will be justice because we have a God who is good and just. And so I think in, in so many ways, this applies to us because we have sinned against God. Every human being, if you're honest, you've sinned against God. And so we deserve justice from God. Uh, we are condemned and under wrath. There's places that talk about in Ephesians where it says that before faith in Jesus, we were children of wrath. Um, and so God is just, and he cannot simply look away from sin. And so we need justification. Uh, and again, justification is this 
declaration by God, one way you can look at it, where God declares us righteous. Rather than looking at our sin and our guilt and saying, you are guilty of that and and I'm going to hold you accountable to that, what justification does is it wipes that away to where God can now declare us as being free from that sin and that sin, the sins that we've committed are no longer applied to us. So how do we get that? That's the, that's the question I want to answer in this video is how do we get that? And ultimately in answering that, we're answering the question of how are we saved? How do we, if you want to put it this way, go to heaven? Uh, how do we know that when we die, we are in a right relationship, a right standing with God? Uh, where we are children of God, not not under wrath, but under grace. So God's solution to the need for justification is Jesus. This is the significance of, of who Jesus is. So Romans 5, this is one of, one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. Uh, so Romans 5, 6. Here, here we're going to start seeing God's solution to the need for justification. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will rarely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, there's that word again, we've been justified, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So again, the, there's such an emphasis here on our need for justification. And part of what he describes of why we need it is because we are without Christ, apart from Christ, human beings are enemies of God. You're not on God's side. You're actually anti-God. Your back is turned to him in rebellion. The creator who created you for a specific purpose, who ultimately designed you as one who would live in fellowship and relationship to him, in humility, loving him, because you know his love and good care for you, we, we are designed to trust in that, <clears throat> to believe in that goodness, the goodness of God. And I think at its core, what sin is, is a unbelief. It's a prideful activity of the heart that says, God, you are not who you say you are. You are not good. You are not kind. You are not loving. You're not, you don't have the, your, the best intentions for me. I know it's best for me. You don't. And so unbelief is a turning of the back away from God and saying, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to be my own God. I don't want God to serve over me. And so it's, it's actually a pride thing. It's a, it's a, it's an action of the heart that, that every human being intuitively, I believe knows it's Romans one that says, we know, we see God in creation. We see God in the more moral standards that are built ingrained into our hearts. And so every human being, I think intuitively knows there is a God, but we have to decide whether we're going to humble ourselves underneath that knowledge and choose the fear of the Lord, choose to love him and believe who he is, or if we're going to turn away from that. The problem here is that this says everyone, the Bible talks about how everyone, all of us have turned away. We have all turned away and chosen our own way, which leads us to this place of Romans 5, describing that we, we are enemies of God. But again, if you picked up on this, as I read this, there's really good news in the midst of this. Uh, so back to verse 6 of Romans 5, it says, For while 
we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. And it says, rarely for a good person would one die, but this is the, God shows his love, it says in, in verse 8, this is the kind of love God has for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is beginning to answer the question of how do we get justified? How do we get our slate wiped clean? How do we get free from the guilt and the condemnation? And, and even not only the, the legal declaration that we have sinned and we're guilty of that, but the powerlessness to overcome our present sin and our future sin. We need freedom from all of that. And so this tells us that the way to get justified the way God has set it up, God's desire, God's plan for justification is that while we're still weak and sinful, before we found the ability to overcome our sin, uh, rather than God waiting for us to go away and like Adam and Eve, cover ourselves with fig leaves and, and do it well enough that we can come back and say, hey, God, look, I've, I've done it. I fixed myself. I'm all better. Now will you accept me? You know, I've done all the things that you require. God says he doesn't wait for us to do something and then count us righteous, but rather God realizes we, God knows, and we need to come to know that we can't do anything. Our best efforts, as we talked about in the last video, our best efforts to keep God's law will fall short. We're going to fall short. We can do as much as we want. We can try as hard as we can to be righteous, to be kind, pure, loving, fill in the blank. But if we're honest, we're going to realize we're falling short. We're not doing it perfectly which means that we're still sinners and we can't get rid of our guilt. This is the good news. God is not waiting for us to do that, though. He's not, he's not waiting for us to get rid of our guilt. He's not get, waiting for us to, to figure out how to become righteous. He's not waiting for us to figure out how to get over our sin. How to, he's not waiting for us either to, to see if we're willing to commit ourselves to enough rules and laws and regulations. And are we going to keep them faithfully? Are we going to do it right? Are we going to keep crossing our T's and dotting our I's? If you do, you know, I'll give you your star. I'll give you your eternal life as a reward. But if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to get you. Uh, and, and, and you have no part with me. Rather what God does before we do anything, before we put forth any effort, God says, I love you and I embrace you uh, to those who will just simply turn and believe. It's a free gift. And so while we were weak, Christ died for us. Human nature, I think, again, if you're like me, my tendency is to think that if God's going to accept me, if I'm going to get God's acceptance, if I'm going to get over this sin, if I'm going to overcome this temptation, I have to figure out how to be stronger. I have to figure out how to be uh, not as weak as I've been in the past, how to not be as sinful as I've been in the past. Romans 5 tells us that's not the way this works. That's not the order of the gospel. But rather, we have to come to God right as we are, just as we are, in our weakness, realizing I've tried and I know I can't do this. That's when God says, I accept you. He says, I love you in your weakness while you're weak. He says, while we were weak, Christ died for us. And the encouragement for you here is that while you are weak right now, today, are you failing in temptation? Are you falling into sin? Are you realizing that you're putting forth your best efforts, but you still feel unclean? You still feel, uh, you still feel dirty and, and like you're a sinner and like you're guilty. Just know that God's not waiting for you to figure out how to get rid of all that and how to overcome all that. What he's waiting for us to do is to come to him and to realize and to believe that God has already gotten rid of all that for us. What God wants us to do is to realize 
not that we need to put forth effort like Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. What we need to make an effort toward is believing in, in, in what God has already provided to cover us. So Romans 5, while we are weak, that that is the moment when you need to come to God. Not when you figure out how to be strong while you're weak. That is the moment. That's when you go to God and you say, and you just acknowledge what you are. And you realize then in that moment when he accepts you and embraces you in the middle of all that weakness, that, that it's God who says, I accept you as you are. And now I'm going to help you to get over these things. I'm God says, I'm the one to, to, to be strong enough in these areas that you're not strong enough in. And you need to realize that it's not about your strength. It's about my strength. And this is, I think, what God would say to all of us. Um, and so go to him in your weakness. So Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. If you remember in Romans 7, Paul talks about uh, the, the state of all of us, that we believe in the law that it's good, but we do not have the ability to carry it out. And so Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We cannot earn or attain justification for ourselves. The good news is Jesus attained it for us. And again, God's not waiting for us to figure out how to attain justification by our works He's waiting for us to acknowledge humbly as children that God has already attained it for us and to simply receive it and embrace that promise of God by faith, uh, just as Abraham did. So Jesus said on the cross, he said, it is finished. What that means, what he is saying in that statement has so much implication, has so much relevance for you and me for every moment of the day where we're striving to overcome sin, we're striving to get rid of our guilt, we're feeling anxiety and fear about a variety of things, whether it's spiritual or emotional. What Jesus says on the cross, he said, it is finished. He says, the work, the hard work, the hard effort that needs put forth to attain righteousness and to, to get freedom and peace and joy in life, Jesus in that statement was saying, I just accomplished it. There's no more work to be done. There's no more effort to, to, to put forth. Imagine if I, my, I, I take my son out and I build him this, this beautiful tree house. Like I, I put forth effort and I, I get all the details done. I paint it, I build all the rooms and I just make it this perfect thing. And I present it to him and I say, here you go, just go have fun. And, and he gets stressed and anxious and, and, and grabs his hammer and his tools and goes out and tries to add to it and tries to, tries to he paints it a different color and he tries to, to do more to it, thinking that, that it needs to be different, it needs to be better. I know all analogies have flaws and that analogy has flaws, but I think there's a lot of application there to how we respond to the gospel. That Jesus says, I've done all the heavy work. I've done all the hard labor uh, of having a right relationship with God. Human tendency is to say, oh, thank you. You know, thank you for doing that. And then we run and get our hammers and our tools and we try to do more, thinking that God's not yet fully pleased with us. So we need to put forth a little bit more effort and then maybe he'll like us if we do our part. What Jesus says in that phrase, it is finished, is he says, there's nothing left for you to do except to embrace what I've already done. We need justification. We realize we can't do it. Jesus says, what you can't do, I, I've done. I just did it. I just finished it on, on what I've done on the cross. I've done it for you. And we embrace that. When we embrace it, it changes our hearts and it produces the works. It produces the righteous character that we've strived so hard to attain and to earn and to work for when we simply learn and continue to learn to embrace what God has already done for us. It naturally flows out into a righteous lifestyle. Um, this is the changed heart that God wants to bring us. 
Uh, and so how do we get justification? How, on, on what basis is it given? On what basis does God justify us? So I'm going to go back to Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified, there's that word again, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. How do we get justified? This guilty slate, that we have, this record of debt that we owe to God that we have in our past, this powerlessness that we have in our present, and that we look forward and know we have in our future, which results in wrath, this mess that we find ourselves in, uh, that human beings are in as enemies of God, how do we get justified from that? How do we get freed from that? This says God's solution was not to wait and see if we could do it ourselves. Uh, he, he wasn't, he isn't waiting to see how much effort we're willing to put forth. What God has done is, is what he did in Jesus was basically God saying, I know I'm aware that you can't do it. And so I'm going to do it for you. And so he, it says he put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So a good, uh, a good analogy of this, a good place to go to, to kind of maybe understand this a little bit better is John chapter three. And here we're, again, we're answering the question, how, how do you get eternal life? Uh, how, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're in a right relationship with God? How do you know that you don't have to fear death? Um, how do you know that you are justified? So John uh, chapter three, you should all know this verse, I'm sure. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So belief, we believe upon Jesus. We believe upon the finished work. We believe like, like just like I would want my son to go outside and believe that the treehouse was good enough, that what I had done for him was enough. And it would actually be disobedient. It would be, it'd be dishonoring for him to go out and try to do more and add to what I've already done. How much more is it dishonoring to God when he sets forth Jesus, like Romans 3 says, as a propitiation for our sin, he sets forth Jesus and says, this is the full work. This is everything you need for salvation, for justification. And we go out and try to add to that by our works, by our efforts, by our uh, observances of different things. What an insult that is to the gospel. What, what an insult that is to God who says, it is finished. I've done it. I just want you to believe and trust me when I say that's enough. It's actually unbelief and disobedience to set out and try to do more. What we're actually saying is, God, I don't trust you. I don't. When, 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 I, when I look at the gift of salvation, Jesus held up as a, the propitiation for my sins. I look at that. I see it. And for a person to see that and, and run out and say, okay, now, thank you, God. Thank you for that. But I'm going to run out and I'm going to, I'm going to observe Sabbath every Saturday. And then, then I know you'll be pleased with me. I'm going to make sure I'm baptized in the right way. I'm going to, I got to make sure I'm keeping Passover. I got to make sure I'm reading my Bible every morning for at least, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, I got to make sure I'm praying all these times throughout the day. And if I do those things, then I can know God accepts me and loves me. Now, all those things aren't bad things. It's not that you shouldn't do those things, but if you're doing those things in an effort to get this reconciliation and this right relationship with God, 
then what you're doing is equivalent to my son running out and trying to fix the treehouse. Um, we need to embrace and accept what God has done and know that he already accepts us. And then from that place, go forth and do the things that we feel God has called us to do. So John 3, 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what is God's solution for our need for justification? Well, it's just like he says here, if you know the story that's being referred to, the people had sinned and they were being killed uh, uh, in, in the wilderness, the Israelites. After having come out of Egypt, they sinned, they were being uh, killed. I can't remember if it was a disease. I think maybe a disease that was going on. But God told Moses, take this, this serpent, build this serpent, put it on a staff and hold it up. And anybody who looks at that, who simply just turns away from their experiences and what they're, they're going through and looks to that, they'll be saved. They'll be healed. They'll be freed. Jesus says that's the same way it works for us, that we have this disease of sin that's eating us alive, that's killing us. God has provided this full solution in Jesus and holds him up and says, whoever looks at him and believes will have eternal life, will be justified. Simply by believing, I'm made right with God. I'm not made right with God in my relationship based on what I do. I'm made right with God by looking away from all the things that I think I might need to do and looking to what Jesus has done. So the last thing I'm going to look at here to finish this up is 2 Corinthians 5. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake... He, God, made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for our sake, since we couldn't do it, since we couldn't get rid of our sin and the consequences of it, God made Jesus, him who knew no sin, the one who had never sinned, who was perfect. Like Isaiah 53 says, there was no sin or deceit in him, but, but God made him an offering. He made his soul an offering for sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, by Jesus's stripes, we are healed. It's not by our pain and our suffering and our struggles to be righteous. It's by the pain and the suffering and the struggles that Jesus experienced for us. He made him sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So, Jesus has an account. If you think about spirituality, if you think about the spiritual uh, identity that every human being has, uh, we have this uh, bank account of debt. We're in debt to God. But Jesus, his account looks much different than ours does. His account is perfect. It's full. It's complete. It has no debt. What God does to those who simply look away from everything else, from every other solution to sin, from every other effort, from any five-step or ten-step program to, to be righteous or to overcome sin, those who look away from any efforts and look to Jesus being held up, just like Moses held up the serpent on the staff, to those who look and say, that's enough. I God, I believe. I believe what you say about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and provided for me. I choose in humility like a child to believe that that is enough. I accept it. I embrace it. I receive it personally for myself. To those who do that, it says God uh, that we become the righteousness of God. 
again, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we become the righteousness of God. How do we become the righteousness of God? And this is another way, I think, of saying we become justified before God. How, how do we get this, this identity before God where God looks at us and says, I count you as righteous. I look at you and I don't see sin. I don't see your failures. I don't see your weakness. I don't see your sins and failures of the past. And I don't see your sins and failures of today. But God, there's a way to have a relationship with God where he looks at us and he says, I see you in all your weakness while you're still weak. I count you as righteous. Uh, how do we get that? How do, we, how do we get into that position with God? Well, again, we get it by faith. It's a free gift, like Romans 3, uh, 23 through 26 that we've, we've read through that talks about. It's a free gift. How can we come to God on the basis? How can we, how can we relate to this, relate to the gospel in a way that, that reflects this teaching that it's a free gift? The only way is to come to it and simply embrace it by faith. Um, so justification, we get it by faith. We get it as a free gift. And what it does is, is it's where this, this, legal, this legal identity that we have as sinners, as enemies of God, where we're counted as enemies of God because of what we are. What God has accomplished is that because of what Jesus is, because of who he is, God looks at him and to those who believe in it and embrace it, he then counts us as righteous. He justifies us. Uh, before him. And, and we are no longer standing then on our own abilities, our own righteousness or lack of righteousness, but they are, we are then by faith, we can stand freely in the righteousness of Jesus uh, and, and not in the, the abilities that we have, but in the abilities and the accomplishments of, of Jesus, who he is and what he has done.